Luke 7, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, you know, I'm sure we've all had uh, occasions and experiences that excited in us a deep sense of social awkwardness. You know, you've ever had those socially awkward moments that you've witnessed where you feel like you're in like an episode of The Office and you just want to get away. That's happened to me. That probably has happened to you here based on something I've said. Who knows? But it's happens, it happens often, it seems like, at weddings. It happens at wedding receptions. And uh, I was thinking about this this week. A number of years ago, Mary and I, Mary Ann and I went to a wedding. And uh, after the wedding ceremony, we were at the reception. And uh, the maid of honor gave a little speech, as is custom at most of our weddings. And uh, she toasted the bride and the groom. But before that, she gave the speech. And uh, it was painful, I got to tell you. The, the entire speech con- consisted of her reciting a history of all the other boys that the bride had dated and a detailed history of the bride's relationship failures. And then she concluded with a doozy. She said, basically, I'm glad she finally found a guy who will marry her. And I hope it lasts longer than her other relationships did. And at this point, I was just like, get me out of this room immediately. Can I, Scotty, beam me up? Get me out of here. It was painful. It was super inappropriate. Um, no alcohol was involved, by the way, so she couldn't blame Boo. She was totally sober. We were shocked. But it was one of those always hear a preview of speeches before you get someone on stage moments, you know, that you learn as a pastor as well. And this is a story that we just read about another socially awkward moment. It, this is an inappropriate moment. And it's a story about how Jesus actually uses it. He uses a socially awkward, a painful moment to teach people, to teach you and to teach me about what he's really like, about the radical grace and generosity of God. So I'm excited to look at it with you this morning, and I hope you don't feel awkward since I just said that story. I hope we're good without awkwardness for the rest of the sermon. Okay, so we're continuing this Meals of Jesus series where we're looking at different stories and episodes from Luke's gospel, and we're finding that Jesus is constantly sitting down to eat with people. He's telling stories about food, or he's leaving a meal or going to a meal. So food is central to Luke's narrative. Jesus does it so regularly that he's called a glutton and a drunkard by his opponents in the day. And remember the purpose of all of this, the excess of food and drink in Jesus' earthly ministry are intended to point us 
They're intended to point us to the excess of God's grace. The excess of God's grace that He loves to give to sinners. So today, we're going to continue by looking at another meal that Jesus is at in which, you know, He really drops a nuclear warhead on the social customs of the day and on the assumptions of the religious people of His day about what God is like. It's really a magnificent story. Um, It's a beautiful story. And so I hope that uh, the Holy Spirit today, right now, will show you as he ministers to us uh, the beauty of Jesus's grace. So let's break this story into three parts. First, Jesus's reception of a sinful woman. Second, Jesus's story of two debtors. And then last, Jesus's insight into two hearts. First, Jesus's reception of a sinful woman. The story starts, as Lauren read for us, with Jesus being invited into the house of this Pharisee, a religious guy whose name was Simon. Now, that in and of itself, I think, is interesting. We find out soon that Simon's doing this to test Jesus and to prod Jesus. But I love, I love how Jesus is willing to go after anyone and everyone. We saw a few weeks ago, he goes after Levi the tax collector, the definition of an irreligious person. But today he goes after Simon the Pharisee, the definition of a religious person. Jesus is not cutting himself off from anyone. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, you see. People who are lost by running away from God and people who are lost by thinking that they are close to God based on who they are and what they have done. And so Jesus comes into Simon's house and he sits down for a meal with Simon. Now, this was a meal that was a very common thing in the Greco-Roman world. It was called, in that culture, a symposium. This is a symposium. A symposium was a semi-public gathering that would have been held in some sort of courtyard in Simon's home. And uh, people from the street would have been able to see and listen to what was being said, and even on occasion to participate in the discussion. And the symposium was comprised of a meal followed by an extended time of discussion over philosophical matters or theological matters. And that's exactly what Jesus knowingly gets himself into here. And it also explains how this woman could have gotten herself into the room. We read about her beginning in verse 37. Luke tells us, a woman of the city who was a sinner, she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table and she goes there. So who is this person? Well, she's clearly someone that already knows about Jesus. She knew Jesus was there and she went to see him. You know, it's likely that she's maybe witnessed one of Jesus's miracles or she heard him teaching in Capernaum. And her interest in Jesus of Nazareth is peaked, right? It's high. And notice that Luke describes her. He goes out of his way to describe her as a sinner and, quote, a woman of the city. Now, that's a very nice way of saying that she's a hooker. This woman's a prostitute. She's someone that very clearly would never interact with or be in the presence of people like Simon. Simon the Pharisee. So you can imagine, I hope, how incredibly bold, how incredibly gutsy this thing that she's doing was. Women weren't allowed in these settings, period, in the first century, much less women like her. So this is, at the very least, going to be an exceedingly socially awkward moment. And at the worst, it could be dangerous for this woman. It could be violent for her. And what we need to do to really get what God wants for us this morning is to marinate in this story for a minute. 
yourself in that room, just mentally. Imagine the shock and the discomfort and the awkwardness of the religious leaders of the community pestering Jesus with theological questions, and then this lady walks in. She stumbles in, and then imagine how that awkwardness and shock and discomfort would have increased in verse 38. Look again. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So here we have a woman. Listen, you've got you to get this. This is amazing. Here we have a woman who is she's sexually broken. She's sexually sinful. And she's approaching Jesus here in the only way she knows how to approach men. She's using the tools of her trade. Did you notice that? Her hair, her lips, her oil. But she's not kissing his face. She's kissing his feet. And then she lets down her hair, which was in that culture something reserved for the bedroom, not a symposium. One commentator on Luke says that letting down your hair in that culture was on par with appearing topless in public. That's about what it was like. So all this is happening, and she is weeping. The word there for weeping doesn't mean she's kind of got a few tears. It means it's like rain weeping. It's ugly crying. That's what she's doing here. She can barely keep it together. So put yourself there. This is a profoundly powerful and awkward scene. And it's profoundly powerful and awkward because this sinful woman treats Jesus with really a shocking degree of intimacy, doesn't she? This is not appropriate public behavior. It's just not. And so how do we expect Jesus to respond to this? Jesus doesn't stop her. Not only does he not stop her, Jesus doesn't even say, like, he's trying to be nice, but to get himself out of this situation as soon as possible. He doesn't say, I I really appreciate what you're doing here, but this is uh, not really an appropriate time. Jesus receives her. He receives her. Jesus loves her. He interprets her actions not as erotic, but as faithful. And what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that God was like this then and is like this now. God in Jesus receives sinners who know they are sinners. Jesus receives sinners who know they are sinners. Jesus loves them. That's why the tears of this lady are the key to her approach. She's not coming to Jesus proud over her life's work. She knows exactly who she is. She knows just what she's done. She's seen so much of the human wreckage and has been a part of the wounding of this world. And yet, better than anyone else in the room that day, she knew, this prostitute knew what Jesus Christ was about. She knew that Jesus Christ came for those who were sick. Jesus Christ came for the broken. He came for hookers and gamblers and losers and crooks. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus receives her in the middle of all these very successful, very intimidating, very, quote, godly people. Jesus is happy to link his identity with hers. Jesus is happy to link his identity with hers. To the Pharisees, this lady is like literally an infectious disease. 
But Jesus accepts her. Jesus demonstrates God's matchless grace by welcoming sinners who know just how deep the rabbit hole goes. I was uh, reading this week about a pastor doing ministry in Melbourne, Australia, and he started a Bible study with kind of the low and marginalized people of his community with a bunch of drug addicts and a bunch of call girls. And they were working through Luke together. And they got to this story, and they read through it, and the pastor just said, does anybody have any thoughts about this story? And one of the prostitutes said, Jesus must have been a really great bloke. Jesus must have been a really great bloke. And that lady, with her life experience, got it. She got it probably better than you or I ever could. She understood that Jesus is happy to link his identity with sinners. So do you know that? Do you know that Jesus is happy to link his identity with you? Jesus is happy to link his identity with you as well. That's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of grace is Jesus, the holy Lamb of God, came to connect with people who were unholy, with people who are impure, with people who have made really bad mistakes, with people who are fallen and messy and grimy and dirty. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to make us clean before God, to bring us back into the presence of our Father. Jesus has washed away our sins. That's what this story pictorially shows us. So no matter who you are, isn't this good news? No matter what you're guilty of, no matter your failures, Jesus, right now, today, is ready to link his perfect identity with you. He came for you. Jesus loves you. Will you let him in? Will you fall down at his feet like this prostitute did, sorrowful for your failings, acknowledging your need, letting him forgive you? It's not too often in religious circles that you're told, be more like that prostitute. But that's exactly the point. Acknowledge who you really are and know that Jesus has come to rescue you out of the darkness. That's what this Christianity thing is all about. So we see Jesus receives this woman. Second, Jesus tells a story. A story of two debtors. And you know, in the least surprising turn of events in this story, Simon, the Pharisee, sees what's happening and he's not very happy about it. Shocker of shockers, if you know anything about the Pharisees. And so he thinks to himself, verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So Simon already has his answers about this Jesus character. No true prophet, much less the Messiah himself, would allow himself so near to someone so vile, so disgusting, so unclean. Of course, this is bitingly ironic because Jesus knows exactly what sort of woman she is, doesn't he? Simon is at least right about that part. Jesus knows this woman fully and he loves her. He forgives her. He knows her fully and he loves her totally. And so Jesus, knowing what's going on in Simon's heart, tells the room a very simple story. Look at verse 40. Basically, if two people owe a debt to a lender, but one owes $500,000 and the second owns $500, and then both are forgiven, who's going to be happier? (laughs) 
Who's going to be more appreciative for the debt forgiveness? And even Simon, despite his hard-heartedness and his hatred of Jesus, is able to get this softball question. Verse 33, the one I supposed, 43, excuse me, the one I supposed for whom he canceled the larger debt. Now, the moral of this story is very simple. Everyone owes a debt. Everyone owes a debt. And that gets us to the heart of the issue with Simon's heart. And the issue with many of our own hearts today. The main issue with Simon. And the main issue with all moralistic religious people. Is that they see sin everywhere except in themselves. They see sin everywhere except in themselves. And the reason that Simon is so condemning towards this woman is because he has placed himself in a different category from her altogether. Look at what he says about her, verse 39. She, she is a sinner. I am in a separate category, a separate class, a separate species of people before God. She's a sinner. In terms of the parable, Simon thinks he can pay back the debt himself. In fact, his entire view of the world depends on this. He wants to be able to pay at least some of his debt back. Remember a few years ago when I talked about the ladder. Simon is on the ladder. And his view of the world depends on his place on the ladder relative to prostitutes. He's higher up than they are. Therefore, he's closer to God. Therefore, he's more worthy. Therefore, she should be out of my presence. Listen, some of you are like that. All of us are like that. All of us, to some degree or another, live our life with God, trying desperately at times and weakly at times, but trying nevertheless to pay him back. Maybe just a little bit, but to pay him back. And that's the real reason that a lot of you do what you do. You go through the religious motions and the routines And it's also why, by the way, you don't have joy or, as Paul talked about last week, gratitude in any of these things. So ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. Are you more like Simon? Or are you more like the sinful woman? Do you see yourself as in need of forgiveness or in need of paying God back? Are you in need of forgiveness or are you in need of paying God back? And here's a few ways you can know practically if you're more like Simon than the sinful woman. Here's a few ways you can know if you're trying to pay God back. First, you are uncomfortable and judgmental, uncomfortable with and judgmental of, quote, big sinners. Uh, if you ever go to New York City and you're walking through Manhattan and you pass the south end of Central Park, uh, you'll notice that all along that south end of Central Park there are caricature artists sitting down. You've probably seen these in other cities before. And caricature artists will take a small fee, probably not so small of a fee, and have you sit down and they'll caricature you. They'll paint a picture of you. But what do they do? They exaggerate your most obvious and often worst physical features. So for me, I would have a huge nose or something like that, right? And that's exactly what Simon is like. Simon is a spiritual caricature artist. And people who are seeking to pay God back are the same way. They're exaggerating the worst features of others and the best features of themselves in order to reinsure their own hearts that they're higher up on the ladder than those who know their need. That's what you're doing if you're uncomfortable with and judgmental of people that you view to be much, much worse than you. Another way 
to know if you're like Simon. You're miserly and ungenerous. Not just with money, although that's certainly a part of it, but with time, with your home. You might show up here for a few hours a week, but you're not investing in things that matter to put into kingdom work with any sort of joyful consistency. A third way to know if you're more like Simon and trying to pay God back is if you have secret and hidden sins. If you have secret and hidden sins, you're like Simon. Now, all of us have sins. The question is, are you acknowledging them and confessing them? Religious people don't confess and weep over their sins like this lady does. Rather, they hide them. Religious people don't repent of their shortcomings in faith. What they do instead is cover them up, right? People like Simon, they keep sin in the closet and they put up facades and they fake it. But gospel-saturated people of faith are openly and honestly dealing with their sin before God and with those with whom they have sinned. And the reason the Pharisee, the, re- the reason the religious person does this is because the last thing, the last thing he or she will ever do is admit that they need forgiveness or that they desperately really need help. Grace is highly offensive to people like Simon. It's highly offensive to moralists. It's highly offensive to religious people. It's highly offensive to people far up the ladder because it tells them that they are nothing. The good news is that Jesus came for moralistic Pharisees and Jesus came for sinners who know it. Jesus came for both. The key is to see that we're all in the same boat. We're unable to pay what we owe. We're wholly reliant upon God to forgive us. But last thing in this second point, one one status in Jesus' eyes is more dangerous than the other. I want to look at that thirdly. Jesus' insight into two hearts. Look in verse 44. It's super interesting to me. Super interesting. I never noticed this in this story before until I started studying it this week. That even though Simon is the host of this house party, even though Simon is the host of this symposium, it's really the sinful woman that welcomes Jesus. Right? I mean, did you notice that in the story? Look at what Jesus says, verse 44. Do you see this woman, Simon? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, which was a common social custom showing basic hospitality in that day. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, common greeting in that age, right? But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with lavish, costly ointment. Now, I love this. Jesus is saying, Simon, do you see this woman? Now, obviously, Simon and every other red-blooded male in the room has seen this woman. They've seen her. They know she's there. I think we can safely assume that. But Jesus is contrasting this woman with Simon's house. He's saying, Simon, I'm in your house, but she's been my host. I'm in your house, but she's been my host. Jesus received the sinful woman on that day, but she also received Jesus. A sinful woman received Jesus. What does that teach us? I was reading this week about, uh, in 2004, there was an artist, a British artist named Michael Goh, who created an exhibition that he called Iconography. Iconography. And this exhibition was all about this. An actor uh, dressed up as like kind of the classic 1950s hippie-looking Jesus. And um, he posed around the streets of London. And he would bless passers-by on the streets. 
etc., etc., while Go, uh, the artist, would discreetly photograph the results. And after this exhibition concluded, Michael Go, the artist, commented. He said this, no one engaged him in conversation. People in the city have appointments to honor, meetings to attend, deals to make, lunch to buy. The only person who had time for Jesus was the hostess of a strip joint. The lady said that the only only item she kept from her childhood was a little image of Jesus, an icon, hence iconography, that her mother had given her, which she kept by her bed. Isn't that interesting? That gets us to this final point. The art exhibition points us to the idea that in Jesus' mind, there are two types of people, one represented by Simon, the other represented by the sinful woman, the religious and the irreligious, and they respond to Jesus in different ways. The religious are too busy to see what is really happening. They're too caught up in self. But the irreligious, the needy, the broken, the walking wounded of this world, they see who they are. And they respond by receiving what he alone can give them. And here's the final point I want to make. In this story, Jesus is looking into both hearts. He's looking into the heart of the prostitute, and he's looking into the heart of Simon. And Jesus is more troubled by what he sees in Simon. Jesus is more troubled by what he sees in Simon. That's why when Simon condemns Jesus, Jesus responds to that. Not by defending his actions, but by explaining hers. These people are both sinners. Jesus makes it clear that she's a sinner. But one notices it and is forgiven, and the other refuses to accept it and is isolated from Jesus' grace. That's why Jesus says to her at the end of the story, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you have faith like this woman? Do you have faith like this woman? Because it's the only way, it's the only way to wholeness, it's the only way to life. There's two types of people in this story, one who trusts in Jesus and one who trusts in himself. And there's two types of people in this room, those who trust in Jesus and those who trust in self. Now Jesus forgives people, no matter who they are, because of their trust in him. Because they have moved from self to Jesus. That is the transition that Christianity calls faith. This woman had her slate wiped clean. She had her her many significant debts erased because she trusted in Jesus. That's what faith is. Faith is a receptive response to the love of God offered to you for free in Jesus Christ. It's a receptive response to the love of God offered to every one of you right now for free in Christ. So the woman is rescued from her former life, not because of the strength of her repentance and remorse, but because of the strength of Jesus's mercy towards her, which she gladly accepted. Have you done that? Have you seen that you're more like this woman, more in debt than you really want to admit? Simon never saw that. Simon was blind to his own need. And seeing your, trust, your true position, your, your true debt, have you gone to Jesus and have you kneeled before him with tears and said, forgive me, Jesus. Receive me, Jesus. And have you received and rested in the full forgiveness that he brings, not because of your worth, but because of his love? You can do that right now. You can do it right now. If you've never done it before, you can ask Jesus to forgive you for all of the deep and darkest secrets of your heart.
You can ask Jesus to forgive you for the worst things you've thought, said, or done. You can ask Jesus to forgive you for the corruption of every part of your identity, and you can rest for sure that he will do just that. His death is just that powerful. And when you do that, you enter into a new life, the life that this woman began to experience, but the life, sadly, that Simon was isolated from. All you need is your need. All you need is your need. Jesus uses this socially embarrassing encounter with this sinful woman to demonstrate his deep mercy and his forgiveness for sinners like you and like me. But don't be afraid of what you really are. That's the point. Don't be afraid of what you have done because Jesus has come. Jesus knows it all. Jesus has welcomed you. Jesus is willing to link himself to you. And when he links himself to you, he will never cast you out again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, let's pray.